Welcome to the Analytical Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Ellen Yang. I wanted to create a podcast that explored how people use their right brain and left brain. Too often, we are defined by our jobs as analytical or creative. However, when I look around, I see that I'm surrounded by people who blend these two aspects of themselves to create meaningful lives. On this podcast, I will be interviewing people who use their right brain and left brain in fun ways, and I will also be sharing tools to help you develop both. Join me as we explore how to use our analytical and creative sides to bring more dimension to our lives. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to my podcast. I am so excited to bring you this conversation with my dear friend, Lindsay Depp Kern, who I met in an artist's way group led by our mutual friend, Jamie Handley. Lindsay has an abundance of creative energy, which she channels as a spirited life coach and intuitive energy worker, and also has her interests in creative writing. She has also used her analytical skills in her former job as an event director and executive assistant at a charter school. In our conversation, one of the things we talk about is the importance of creating and also stimulating our brains. Lindsay also shares how she creates experiences for people. You can find Jamie and her artist weight groups at Monastic Mamas on Instagram, and you can find Lindsay at LDK Loves You on Instagram, and also take a listen to her podcast called Highly Evolved Meditative Moment on Spotify. You don't want to miss Lindsay and my energetic and wide-ranging conversation. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. Ellen, I'm so excited to be here. It's wonderful to have you. We were actually in a creative program together. And then subsequently, we've really been able to get to know each other's experiences more through our group with the artist way led by um, our friend, Jamie. Those have been just really rich experiences. And I'm sure that we'll be talking more about the artist way experience later on in our conversation. But I just wanted to set the preface of how we know each other. And you've mentioned that this topic of being both analytical and creative has really resonated with you. And that's what I wanted to talk with you more about in our conversation today. So to start off, just in general, what is it about these two ideas that really resonate with you? I think that most of us are taught or we're told that it's one or the other. And Mm -hmm. I have subconsciously felt a lot of struggle around that whenever I've heard it. Which side do I fit in? Which way do I feel? And it really, the more I've thought about it over my life, it's both. And I can see now with some reflection how my creativity shows up, how my analytical skills show up, and how truly when I'm doing my best work, there's a balance of both. Mm -hmm. That's really great. And so can you take us back a little bit on what your childhood was like growing up with both of these aspects and then also how that has played out in the early part of your career? Yeah, sure. So growing up, I was the oldest of three kids with a single mom. So I was deputy mom as far as anyone was concerned. So that's where I'd say my analytical skills really started. I was a self-appointed cruise director, was the boss. So (laughs) became really responsible, frankly, at a young age. And as I've you know, grown up, I then started work. My first jobs were in day camp at the YMCA as a day camp counselor and then ultimately a director. That kind of big sister energy carried on. So I was responsible for a group of younger people. 
And those formative early years set me on a course of caring for people. And fast forward, my most recent four years in the career world was as an event director. So I literally live and breathe the human experience and creating Mm -hmm. spaces where people can learn, can enjoy themselves. I've done wedding planning. So that's very creative, very analytical. Both. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's interesting. I used to think that my jobs were very scattered and didn't have a through line, but there is a consistent theme of using this analytical skill set of anticipating what humans need and creating safe spaces for them. That just keeps passing through, you know, each job that I have, each career opportunity. Yeah. And I love how you bring that up because a lot of the times people may have a certain perception of when we say analytical, but I really clearly hear that when you mention analytical, you're talking about your observations of people and understanding people and connecting that, maybe that thought process with human behavior. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think I should have been a sociologist. I took one class in college and it was so fascinating. And it's become just this hobby passion of mine on accident. So I moved around over the course of my life. I've lived Montana, California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Minnesota. And so with all of these big life moves, I have integrated into new communities. And to be able to do that, I have had to be an observer And so realizing how a certain town moves, how a school moves, what the culture is in a particular workplace, you figure out where you fit in. And so I think moving around so much has really sharpened that skill set for observing human behavior. And so I think it gets dismissed often as like soft skills, HR, woo-woo, like people soften it but it's hugely valuable. And it's this invisible skill set that isn't the obvious, to your point, how people maybe think about analytical skills, but the degree to which people are very predictable Mm -hmm. and really habitualized and ritualized. And you can see what people value by where they spend their time and energy. There's so much uh, rich data that you can pull just by noticing and observing people. Mm, Wow, that's so interesting. When you actually mentioned the locations that you've lived in, it literally has spanned the country. And I think you've hit upon every major geographical area. Is that right? Am I missing any? <laughs> I like think of the Pacific Northwest. I'm like, I mm. could just finish the loop if I could just <laughs> So I think about it. <laughs> um, but have there been any observations you made, maybe at a bigger level or how you've tried to understand or put together an understanding of your experiences? I've tried, but it's so unusual. (laughs) I I wish I had more friends who had moved around a lot because there's a lonely element. There's a resiliency that gets built over being the new person in so many new spaces. Mm -hmm. And, And not to say that is a unique experience. We all start in new places and have that fear, all the insecurity, the things that happen when we're new and don't know how to fit in. But there is something about... I think the diversity of geographical locations that has added a depth of my observations, time seems to move differently in different parts of the country and information moves differently in different parts of the country and and it informs how we function day to day. How you compare like New York to Florida, like Jacksonville, I went there last summer and it felt a little bit back in time. 
mm-hmm. just because of some of the culture things that I noticed where New York is moving very fast up to the minute on news updates and it's a different energy. Mm-hmm. And so it affects how time moves in these cities and states. And it's, it's very interesting how it informs our behavior and our lifestyle. Yeah. It's interesting because I think when you brought this up, I realized that I'm actually one of those people a little bit where I moved around to a lot of different places myself. And predominantly I've lived in a couple places in the Midwest and then moved out to San Francisco. And so that was one big change. And so not as many as yours, but I've definitely had to have some type of mental flexibility and cultural adaptation when you're moving from one place to another. And I've loved both of those experiences. I have a fuller understanding of people. But to your point, I I think that it's a different way versus living in one place your whole life. Yeah. It kind of pushes you out of the nest and you grow up a little bit faster. And and I've done some reading where people do align big moves like that, especially as children to traumas because you are taken out of your community and things, Mm -hmm. depending on the circumstances of the move or how we feel about these moves really matters. And so I think with each of these experiences where we are having to enter new spaces and introduce ourselves and figure out where we fit in, it grows us up a a bit in a different way. It adds some more multifaceted experiences to our wholeness, our education. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And so moving on from using some of your sociology lived experience, you mentioned that you've done some project management work and event planning work. And so how did that translate into your jobs that you've had? So this last stretch, I worked for a national charter school network. And the first half of my time working there, I was the executive assistant to the co-founder. So that was highly analytical, solving mm-hmm. you know the puzzle that was his schedule every day. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was very in demand, New York pace. And it really sharpened me. It felt like like a boot camp some days. Like it really pushed me to be sharper and sharper all the time. And then once I evolved out of that role and got into the project management, I was also part of a team that wrote, created, formatted everything, national ELA curriculum. We've got your math curriculum, your ELA curriculum. We wrote and revised one of those. So the project management stuff came in there where we're, you know, having to track of a lot of moving pieces. And then moving into event planning, I was part of a team who supported coaches of teachers and leaders. So we would host events for teacher and leader training. And so it was anything that operationally needed to support those events was potentially on my plate. And that's where my creative energy got to come out is being a really dynamic problem solver for a team with meetings and events across the country, different content, different methods of delivery. It really was like juggling at 90 miles an hour some weeks. That's really where my analytical and creative energy was shining at high speed for a while. And I was doing that until May of last year. It's interesting because now that I'm out of that and I'm starting to nurture my other creative hobbies, I'm like, oh, that was really creative. I thought it was really analytical, but getting out of it and I'm like, oh, that was, <laughs> was a lot of creative, like, know-how and all of that problem solving. And so just staying on the operational side and the problem solving side for a little bit, do you have any things that you used or that were particularly helpful in applying that to the work that you did? 
So I really believe in a strong tracker. Mm-hmm. I love, you know, being able to pick up, especially if you're doing a, a big project, you got to be able to jump right back in where you mm-hmm. left off. So I love a, co- a color-coded, conditionally formatted Google Doc um, or Google Sheets. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. I know. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> but honestly, I think being an English major, reading and writing reading comprehension, like that stuff really helps and studying archetypes and character uh-huh. construction and deconstruction. That stuff is all just like a really meaty puzzle that makes my brain just like light up. I love puzzle type games. Uh-huh. I had a great English teacher in high school who encouraged us to do dendrite activities. So anything that makes your brain stretch, puzzle games, Sudoku, whatever, those things that just keep your synapses firing just making a hobby out of doing those keeps me sharp for problem solving in work situations. Wow. Oh, and can you remind me what dendrite? I'm not recalling that term. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an English major. I give it. I believe it is part of the synapses that like talk to each other so that it's like you can problem solve faster. So if your dendrites are less active, less nourished, it's going to take longer to find word, you know, for word finding difficulty, those kinds of things just can, the processes can get slower as oh, we age. Okay. okay. And so doing those like brain engaging activities, crosswords, things like that. There's so many games out there, but just finding fun ways to keep our brains engaged instead of all of the zoning out, which is really tempting right now because of the world and we're in a lot of pain. So people are wanting to numb out and distract and do all that stuff. But if you can engage in some games, keep ourselves alert. We're like zoo animals. We need enrichment, (laughs) like that kind of stuff. But really the thing, honestly, if I had to say what has helped me on the analytical side, it's the notion that I have in my subconscious spirit that everything is solvable. Mm, I don't believe there's a problem we can't solve. We just haven't figured it out yet. Oh, that's so interesting. I love that belief. And how did you, do you feel that's something that you were taught or was that through experience or is that something that just maybe is a core value of yours? I think it's just been a practice of mine. And it was out of that young parentified child, over responsible mm-hmm. kid who just was like, we got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Failure wasn't an option. And so, and that has the negative side too. There's some right, right. work to be done around like, when to let go and notice we need to stop trying to solve. But for the most part, having that spirit, it just keeps my mind open. It keeps my imagination engaged. It keeps the, yeah, it keeps my, my spirit and psyche in a really creative place. Mm -hmm. Just everything's solvable. Like it's simple. We we make things bigger and more difficult sometimes than they even have to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that when you mention this, it puts me in a different perspective because Sometimes I think that problems aren't solvable. So I come at it from maybe a different perspective. But I think when I'm trying to embody this value, it brings about the fact that there's maybe so many more resources that are at your disposal, or it helps you to think about resources in a different way. Yeah, I think sometimes... Well, I think all often we are on the subconscious mindset and that's why mindfulness is so important so that we can remember to check in and be like, oh, we have actually more options on the menu than we realized. Because when we let our subconscious drive, we let inherently our ego drives in there. Mm-hmm. And then we think, oh, we only have these two choices. Like we're, we live in a country with 
binary thinking everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so it just limits us because subconsciously we're really trained to have blinders down to a few options instead of thinking like a moderator would, like, let's get creative. Is there a way that everyone can be happy? How can we do this to meet everyone's needs? And that's part of my background I haven't mentioned. I used to work with people with diversity of needs with assistive technology. Mm, interesting. And so that also has influenced my, we can figure this out. There's a solution for every kind of adaptable need and it, keeping human-centered answers usually leads me to a happy moderated solution or whatever the the situation is. Usually there's a way to do it. That's amazing. I love that your energy around that and just this perspective. And I think it's causing me to actually rethink things in a different way too. That's wonderful. So I know you've brought up creativity multiple times, and I think this is a really big part of your life. And you've mentioned it as part of your um, event planning. So how has this played out in your life? So it's interesting. I think I have a visual artist inside of me that's wanting to come out because I also am dabbling with watercolors and enjoying oh, that. Uh-huh. And it's just an area I never explored it. And I don't know, there just wasn't time or priority. I'm not sure. And so I have been thinking about that lately. My creativity, if I maybe had been a different kind of artist, it wouldn't be channeled into all of the the problem solving kind of things or the event yeah. planning, right. the, com- the community building. I love bringing people together for mm-hmm. a common purpose and sending them out better than they came in or feeling better than they came in. And I'm just wrapping up a seven week energy healing experience called the chakra cruise, mm-hmm. where we went through one week at a time, chakra by chakra, where we learned high level 101, just beginner level about each chakra. And then we use color healing and food therapy and dance therapy and you know playlists every week. And just to try and create a virtual experience during these weird pandemic times for people to you know build and find community and feel a little bit lighter in their day-to-day is ultimately my goal. It's interesting because I'm not like sitting down to paint or write every day, but I'm still creating events and experiences and yeah, just every job I'm in that it always goes back to creative problem solving is how it's shown up the most. Lindsay, I think you brought up a really great point. And well, just one one point before we move on, but can you just define what a chakra is and explain a little bit about your program? Yeah, absolutely. So we have seven chakras in our body and those are just energy centers and they're aligned our spine from the bottom of our tailbone to the crown chakra that's technically above our head. And there are many more energy centers in the body. So a lot of Chinese medicine, acupuncture is based on these like body mm. meridians. Mm-hmm. The most accessible level, the, the first seven that you learn are your root, sacral, solar plexus, heart, throat, third eye, and crown chakra. So from the bottom to the top. And these different power centers they can be in and out of balance. And when they're out of balance, it shows up in certain ways in our behavior, in our body. So we might have, if we've got root and sacral chakra issues, we might have GI problems. We might have a sense of insecurity, a lot of fear in our life. And so you can do certain things and do certain therapies. Reiki is an energy healing that I offer to my students 
during meditation. So we can help our bodies balance and heal. And so we can access and use our energy in ways that we need it and we want it. And so that it's not being redirected for the purpose of anxiety and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so your program really went through each of these chakras and ha- introduced practices on how to reframe your energy. Is yeah. Right? So I tried to come at it from, I am still in the process of healing and learning mm-hmm. and growing and, and developing my knowledge. And so when I was thinking about what kind of offering could I put out into the world that would help people right now? I just kept thinking like, everyone's so exhausted. Everyone's so tired. So what if there was a way that we could start thinking about and accessing our energy in unique ways? And went down the thought pattern of, okay, what am I good at? (laughs) What can I (laughs) offer? And I love to throw a party. Like it all comes back to community gathering. Mm -hmm. So I started building playlists was where it all started. And I have a playlist for every chakra. And just imagining people dancing in the kitchen or putting it on to clean their house or in the car and just having these remote parties all over the country and knowing that we're all in this shared, invisible, virtual experience together. But we've got an email coming every week. They get videos, content videos from me where I explain in like 10 or 15 minutes each chakra, where it is, you know, the ages in which it develops what it affects, how we balance it, how we can tell it's out of balance. And just to give people a taster of some of this education so that they can pursue further knowledge and and education or healing experiences if they want. So it's really just trying to spread the word about this method of healing that a lot of the majority of people in Western culture aren't totally hip to yet. Mm -hmm. I think you bring up a really great point, Lindsay, in that, that your program actually touches upon different senses, right? You have the visual and the auditory and things like that. And it sounds like you've really thought through how to create that 360 experience. Yeah. I really wanted people to access it at whatever grain size was right for them. Mm. So, you know, kind of circling back to my experience with working with people with disabilities, I'm always thinking of accessibility and it's not just for some of like the in obvious ways that you might think, but I was designing for, I was really designing for moms. <laughs> Those are, that's who I'm trying to like, how can I serve moms right now? But I was just thinking of they can put on a playlist or certain videos. Like I recommended Hook in one of our very first weeks. So this is a family friendly program that I want people to integrate into their real lives mm-hmm. because I think the story of Hook is really important. And it's about when we lose our way, our creativity, we need to come back to our inner child. That storyline still plays today for adults who need to be reminded of that. So I tried to share art and experiences and build just like a rich texture of sensations so that Wherever my participants are, I wanted to meet them where they were, Mm -hmm. not expecting that they do everything that might be too much, or someone might be just hungry for it and click all the links. But my hope was that it was a buffet for people to come and take and taste whatever looked interesting to them. Mm -hmm. I feel that by you describing the different facets of your program, you've really brought to light a different perspective on creativity because as you mentioned in the past, you've tried to take up watercolor or things like that. And sometimes people automatically think of something that they've known or something that historically has been considered artistic or creative. But I feel that 
creativity can be a way of doing something, and it's also about creating experience. So it's maybe it's not something that you necessarily see, but also how you experience the whole thing. Does that totally. make sense? Totally. So I swear most of my creativity comes out in my flair. Mm. I'm like extra person in any room, always doing the most, admittedly probably too much. But I really think this is so cheesy, but the magic is in the details. The magic is in the little bits that usually people do forget. And so it's in the flair. It's in the putting a little bit of extra love into the detail that we appreciate ourselves other people appreciate that care because it's love in a detail. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about this until right now, but I also think that the creativity part comes from the collective of our experiences, but also thinking about people who may not be at the forefront of our minds. For example, you've mentioned working with people with disabilities and how you've woven that into how you plan and create now. Is that right? Oh yeah, absolutely. We don't always notice it or feel it as such a woven experience. I've left my job in May and have taken the time off. Um, Very grateful to have been able to do that. But I've taken really the time to zoom out and look back at my career and just the trajectory and I'm designing what I want to do going forward for the first time. I've never taken time off to be intentional. It was always a necessary job to the next necessary job. And so it's interesting to look back and notice how all of these jobs that felt different, day camp, I worked at Applebee's, I was a server, the assistive technology program, the event planning, executive assistant. And if I look through, I'm able to see the ways that I brought gifts to each of those, you know, places and what I got back from them. And then that's something people can do too, if they're like, not sure what they got out of a job, they can do a little meditation and ask themselves like, okay, what did I take from there? And write it down, put it on paper, and then start to see the through lines and the threads because they're there. We just don't always notice it because it is sometimes creativity showing up as problem solving. And we wouldn't have noticed it without looking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really profound. And so what are some of the tools that has been helpful for you in this creative process? Us doing the artist way has been massive. So we just finished that 12 weeks. Should we talk about the artist way for a moment? Yeah, let's do that for more than one moment. (laughs) But yeah, we were in love. (laughs) We loved it. (laughs) The artist way is a very well-known book by Julia Cameron and 12 weeks as meant as a start. And there's a couple of components, including writing your morning pages, which is daily journaling. But then she also has a wealth of other resources to tap into your creativity, such as weekly artist dates and then reflective questions. And so Lindsay and I, we've been um, so fortunate to be led in a group by our friend Jamie on this. And I think that there's something to be said about going through this program in a group. And so what has that been like for you, Lindsay? It was so interesting because I, one, I'm noticing I have major trust issues in new spaces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like that's why I've done all this reflection about being a new person in new rooms, and that's like why I've stayed in jobs for so long. I was 
anxious and excited to be in this group because I knew it was going to be an emotional journey. I knew it was going to be excavating some difficult stuff or ideas or, you know, thoughts that I've picked up along the way. But as we developed trust, which was like by week two, I was already in love. So all of my anxiety was for nothing. I just, it was so profound to get to, to be asked about our, our, thought process about our creativity and all the different ways that Julia Cameron, and then to be able to share and have our feelings, experiences, revelations witnessed by a group of women who now hold and respect and and hold this sacred space. Mm -hmm. It was so satisfying and so effective in a way going through it myself would not have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, I had tried doing this maybe a couple years ago and just doing the morning pages in terms of the regular journaling was a challenge in of itself. I couldn't even layer on any other thing. I feel like going through this with a group, it really held me accountable for that part. Now I can say that journaling has been really more of a regular habit for me. And it's because of going through this as a group. And then also I feel that Julia brings up just a lot of reflective questions about your inner artist, your inner creative energy, and what that journey has been like for you since you were young and things that influenced you early on related to that creative part of yourself. And so you really uncover a lot. And and that's been definitely my experience with this. And so we're, I guess- I felt like I- Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. (laughs) Uh, I just wanted to like layer on a little bit. I felt like I plugged back into my inner child. As I mentioned, having to be responsible as the oldest kid in my family, I feel a little bit like I got unplugged from my creativity in the expressive ways that I would like to be creative. And so going through this process and having the artist see and actually painting, actually writing poems, actually doing the things. And I'm like, oh my God, this brings me so much joy. It felt like it was plugging me back into my inner child, the inner artist, the inner creative, that like sensitive soul that I've been hiding away for a lot of years. It was really just profound. That's amazing. For me, I just felt there was just so many reflections that I had through the prompts and things like that. And just the revelations I've had in my own journaling, I think those were really my big takeaways. And being able to share that in a group was really powerful. Yeah. And I noticed if I didn't show up for my morning pages, there was usually some thought that wanted to come out that I would get annoyed with myself for not showing up to put it pen to paper. So it's interesting building that ritual and routine for myself that my spirit and just rhythms in my body, brain, I don't know what's happening, but it it shows up every morning. And I think that's why I like to write poetry and raps in the morning too, because I've now kicked on this creative bug in the morning. And I wholehearted say that's because of morning pages. So what does this experience mean for you in terms of going forward with the artist way? Do you plan on using this more in your life or continuing this practice? Oh, yeah. So morning pages are here to stay. I am loosening up the rules because her role is like 
three full pages. And so I'm happy just to be writing every day. That's the muscle. I, I'm not going to make it more constrictive, but I do think that the magic does happen on the third page. So I'm going to keep doing that. And then I do think I'm going to host a group. My husband bought the book. He wants to go through it and just declared that he wants to go through it with me the week that we finished. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready yet. <laughs> I want a break. Because like, it did keep me held accountable where there were times where I was like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to go. But like always so worth it just because of the energetic exchange that happens. I, I do think I'm going to probably host a group. Um, going to take a break for a little bit, but I can see using it as part of group healing experiences for sure in the future. It's just, it's so profound. It's proven. It's so successful for a reason. You know, it's just, if it ain't broke, I say, keep doing it because we'll just keep evolving. It's such a cool tool. Yeah, I totally agree. I think for me, I'm just the type of person that process things slower and it's easier for me to process things in layers too. And this time I definitely felt I made strides with the journaling, but I think I need more times to go through it for really doing the questions. And then I don't think that my artist state have been as regular as I would like them to be, but I just think that this offers so much potential for further exploration and understanding. Really, the possibilities are limitless, I would say. I totally agree. And I this round was very surface level, like morning pages, prioritizing, but I for sure didn't get through all the tasks and questions. And there's so much rich stuff in there. So I, I do think it's something I'm excited to go back and the next time I go through it, see what I highlighted last time, see what my notes were, because I really, really did a lot of that in the book. So I'm so excited to see if I do it a third time, what's that? And it's just like another cool way to see it's like a milestone uh, marker each time you go through it. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, especially if you do it with different people too, I think um, that offers a richness of experience as well. Totally. So I just wanted to jump back a little bit to something that you had brought up and this that's regarding your creative writing and your past as well as your interest in rap and basically written word <laughs> is my understanding. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when I was thinking about this and preparing for our conversation, it's like, why did I go into creative writing? Like, why did I pick that? Because I went into college as a psych major, took one psychology class and was like, this is going to require so much memorization. I want to help people. I, that was like my bottom line. I was like, I know I want to help people. And the pendulum swung because it was like, how's creative writing going to do that? Which is interesting because now it's coming back around. I'm like, it's definitely going to help. But it's just it, picking creative writing, which is creative, but it's mm -hmm. highly technical. Mm -hmm. And my minor was comparative world literature. So I literally deconstructing texts and analyzing who's the author, what's their point of view, where is this coming from? My writing is very based in analytical, technical um, side of things. And I think that's part of why I lost my way from it because it became pretty work and heavy feeling mm -hmm. versus fun, flowy, and more of a freestyle experience. I, it's interesting because I can see why I was attracted to it. I can see why I ran from it. I can see why I'm coming back to it. I'm so grateful that I had that education and now I get to come back to it, it with a different, more fun energy toward it. Mm -hmm. and getting to use it, you know, for therapeutic purposes. And it's an area that I really want to explore because I think I'm able to communicate on human emotional experiences in a way that's pretty unique. 
so I want to definitely explore that in my future creative work. And I had never thought of creative writing as analytical. In fact, I thought it'd be completely opposite. So Mm -hmm. can you touch upon a couple ways where it is analytical? Yeah. So if you even just look at poetry, if you do structured poetry, if you're writing a sonnet and you've got certain rhyme schemes, syllable counts, all of that, that's very technical. And for some people, completely robs the joy out of the experience. (laughs) Depending on the kind of stories you're writing, if maybe you are writing like an allegory where you're communicating a bigger message. It's almost like the subliminal messaging in a story that is so much more layered than it seems on the first read. If you think of some of the best writers in our history, it's because their writing hits on levels. It's almost more complex on the third or fifth read. It's super, super technical. I think people do make a lot of assumptions when they hear creative writing and it's just expressive. No, a lot of times it is molded and shaped in a way so that it is more profound. Okay. Yeah. I never thought of it like that. So thanks for sharing that. And then you've also mentioned that you did some rap writing. Is that right? Is that involved with creative writing? Would, I'm not going to say that I do. <laughs> uh, it's just, I love hip-hop music i respect it from a young age have it's like the rhythm that is stickiest to my brain mm-hmm. so to this day just know a lot of lyrics you know from <laughs> growing up i was raised latchkey kid raised on mtv for sure tupac was a poet and i just grew up obsessed with and respecting that art form mm-hmm. it's funny it's just something that I've noticed spending some mornings around here. We watched Eight Mile not too long ago. And then in the next week, I was making my tea in the morning and I had literal flow that wanted to come out. So it's like, okay, I'll just write it. <laughs> I felt like silly doing it. I was like, you are not writing a rap, lady. You're a white woman from the Midwest. What's happening? <laughs> but whatever. That's my aesthetic. Because I went to school in Long Beach too. So I feel really, I just... I got a a lot of love for the West Coast. When I let myself, when the spirit strikes me, it just comes out very easily. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's that's so great just to be so free in your expression. And it's not like you have to go out and release it to the world, but it's something that creates joy for you. And it it sounds like that's just more self-expression. Is that right? Yeah, my mixtape is going to drop this summer. Can't wait to hear it. (laughs) I'm not going to put limits on uh, the possibility here because (laughs) if I grow the courage to do it, yeah, I would knock that off a bucket list. Mm -hmm. Why not? I'm also a big fan of Deaf Poetry Jam. And so it is like spoken word poetry with attitude, with more uh, passion behind it. I have always been drawn to just impassioned public speaking. Oh, wow. That's great to hear. And have you been doing that for a while or is that something that's surfaced more recently? So I've categorically been on the fan, like in awe of the people who can do it. I'm also in awe of stand-up comedians because I think like certain ones are profit, like profits. Dave Chappelle is one of those guys that like he is speaking from another dimension. Mm. On Oh, uh-huh. And so I'm getting over the fear of these things. I have not performed often. I did have to do it in college for an assignment and it was horrifying because I was not ready for public speaking. But yeah, attending Deaf Poetry Jam was formative in school because we had to go see a live poetry reading. And so my friend and I went and saw the coolest live poetry reading and it just informed and influenced. Like I got to see what's possible with spoken word. 
and it just, yeah, it shifted me. And so it sounds like your plan is to try to actively be a participant instead of someone who is experiencing it. Is that right? Ellen, maybe. Maybe. That's what I'm working toward. And it still makes me nervous because I would know that I would be writing and sharing really deeply from the heart. And so it is like that vulnerability piece of, okay, am I ready to let people know about this part of my feelings? So I do think that is the subconscious aspiration, but I'm still working up to it. Oh yeah. And there was no pressure on my part. I was just trying to make sure that I heard correctly or that I understood (laughs) because this is a new world for me. And that's just more from my perspective. It's probably a good thing to to push me on it because it's making me like, I do want to do it. I sure do want to do it. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) This brings up a great point, right? Because I've been learning just through the artist's way and through other things that I do think that there is a part of creating and releasing that is part of human nature in some sense, and that can take many different forms, but there's so much that we need to overcome and address and to actually reveal that part of ourselves because it is very vulnerable. I think that you just bring up a good point about the human process, and that's where I was just trying to go with that. Yeah, we're, we want to be received. That's human nature. We mm-hmm. want to belong to community. We don't want to be rejected or judged. That feels bad. Right, <laughs> and right. so in anticipation of what could feel bad, we often hold ourselves back because it might feel bad. Instead of, I've got this song in my heart that needs to come out and I'm going to release it because that's the point. Mm-hmm. Not how people perceive it. Yeah. The point is to birth this creative product or project and get it out of our soul because that's the goal. That's mm-hmm. the thing that needs to come out. And artists are so important during times of trauma and like national trauma, which is what we're still experiencing and mm-hmm. coming out of. And we're, you know, just still actively in that. So this is the most important time for artists to go to work because we're able to put our perspective and we're able to absorb all of these different things from our society and take new points of view and share them out. And hopefully with the end result of people saying, wow, I never thought of it that way. Or that is how I feel. I'm so, thank you for saying it. Art serves so many different purposes. And yeah, I just, I think it's so critical that we just put in, and I'm saying this is an active hypocrite who's trying to work through it, but like just putting it out And it doesn't have to be everything, of course, like it's not all about publishing and putting out, but just letting ourselves finish and and say the thing. I think that's really the point is letting ourselves say the thing, express the thing that wants to come out. Yeah. Yeah. That's really profound. And so on that note, I just wanted to thank you so much, Lindsay, for sharing your perspective, sharing your life journey with us and just what you've been in the process of creating. And it's it was really such an honor to be a part of this Artist Grey group with you. And I'm so glad that our paths have crossed. So thank you. Oh, this has been so fun. I enjoy seeing you on every call when our paths do cross. <laughs> um, it's always a pleasure to have you as my classmate. Yes. And yeah, I, this has just been so cool to talk about. I've never had this kind of conversation and it honestly pushed me to put into words a lot of things that I've struggled with. So this has been awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. And where can people find you? Yeah. So people can find me. Uh, my website is lindsaydapkern.com or on Instagram, LDK loves you. 
Great. And it sounds like you'll be working on some amazing new projects for the future. So people should stay tuned. Yeah. So follow me there, especially Instagram. It's where I post all of the little pop-up healing experiences and things that I'm a part of. I am wrapping up the Shocker Cruise. I am sure I will run it again. And I'm looking forward to having some cool summer programming coming up. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Take care. Thank you, Ellen. Don't you love Lindsay's energy and humor? Some of my key takeaways from our conversation are one, everything is solvable. I love Lindsay's positive approach to problems, and it is the first time I've heard someone share this value out loud. I oftentimes think only of the barriers, but now I'm going to see what happens when I take the mindset that there is a solution. Number two, the act of creating a product or project is a reflection of our soul, and that is the goal. It's not about perfect results, but the actual doing. Number three, build in problem-solving games like Sudoku to stimulate your brain. Keep those synapses firing. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I have more great interviews of analytical creatives that I will be releasing on a weekly basis. If you have a topic you would like me to talk about, you can email me at the analytical creative podcast, all one word at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at the underscore analytical underscore creative. Also, I wanted to give credit to the singer songwriter Tiana V for creating my fun and upbeat podcast theme. Go find her on Facebook and Instagram at Tiana V music.